Welcome to the Raising Strong Kids Through Divorce podcast, a resource dedicated to helping mums and dads co-parent and raise empowered and confident kids. Please visit www.raisingstrongkidsthroughdivorce.com for more information and resources. The views expressed in this podcast represent general thoughts and concepts in relation to the subject matter discussed and should not be relied upon as either legal or professional advice for the purposes of making any significant decisions. Listeners are encouraged and advised to seek legal and professional advice tailored to their circumstances. Hi, my name is Matthew Ball and I'm a public speaker, a writer, a certified divorce coach and a certified NLP practitioner. And here is my co-host, Tasha. Hi, I'm Tasha Belix, a registered psychologist who specializes in supporting children, teens, and their families. I'm also the creator of Between Girls programs, and I'm known to most people as the feelings expert. Today, we have a special guest with us, Andrea LaRochelle. Andrea has over 15 years of experience working with families moving through separation and divorce during her time with the Alberta Justice and in private practice. Her specialized training with the High Conflict Institute and acute understanding of family dynamics and the legal system allow her to provide families she works with with excellent care, support, and optimism for the future. Andrea's diverse skill set, coupled with her tenacious drive to help families manage their conflicts more effectively, has made her a strong resource in the area of high conflict separation and divorce, specializing in co-parenting communications. Please join us in welcoming Andrea. So we're super excited to have you here with us today, Andrea. Just to start us off, what exactly is high-conflict co-parenting? Good question. I find that a lot of parents think they're in high-conflict when really it's just basic conflict that happens from a separation or divorce. Uh, High-conflict would put you into like the 10% category of divorcing and separating couples. And it usually comes with uh, all-or-nothing thinking from the other parent um, you feel like you're going crazy because the other parent is not working with you. Um, it's all your fault. There's absolutely nothing yeah. you can do to try and fix this. Uh, and your emails that you're getting from the your co-parent are like diatraps, pages and pages, telling you how awful you are as a parent, how awful you are as a person, Arc. how you're ruining the children. Uh, that is what makes it so difficult. It's that constant criticism of everything about you. And it's not just two paragraphs, it's 15 paragraphs and five a day. Yee. It's a whole new level of conflict that most people aren't aware of and can't really get their head around unless yeah. you're in it. And when you're yeah. in it, you're sinking. So if you're that parent that might be listening to this podcast and, and you're like, okay, Andrea's just mentioned these, you know, 15 paragraph emails, um, someone making personal attacks. Um, I feel like I'm crazy. Would there be some other red flags that might go off for that parent that's receiving that email in terms of some of the things that they start believing about themselves? Um, some of the, I don't know if it would be emotions that would be coming up for them that might be like extra evidence. It's like, hey, I think that I'm in one of these co-parenting relationships. Ding, ding, ding. The lights are going off for me. What I find with parents who are, or co-parents who are trying to co-parent with a high yeah. conflict person or per- somebody who presents that way is they don't even realize that they're in it until they're like rock bottom. Uh-huh, okay. And so they have fought tooth and nail in the legal system for what they feel is right. And they're up against somebody who will not quit. So one of the telltale signs is um, 
repeated court involvement. Okay. Um, or if you're working with an arbitrator, repeated request for arbitration, mediation. High conflict co-parents don't want issues resolved. They just want the drama of the conflict. So it doesn't matter how hard you try to fix the okay. conflict at hand. Mm -hmm. As soon as it's almost fixed, they're going to change directions and throw something else at you. Mm -hmm. Even if you just like, sure, we're just going to do it all your way. They're going to change what it is that they want. Mm -hmm. So then you're left going, but I just agreed to everything. So now what? Yeah. So it never really it never ends. ends. Bill Eddy, who is the former CEO of the High Conflict Institute, says the issue isn't the issue. There will always be another issue. Yeah. So it's like whack-a-mole. Whack-a-mole. Like you yep. pop down. Okay, it's about visiting on weekends. Yes. Oh, no, it's about phone calls at nighttime. No, it's about it, something's just going to keep popping up, popping up, popping up. FaceTime did not happen at 7 o'clock. It happened at 7.01. I'm taking you to court. Like the extreme. Wow. Okay. Why does the other parent do that? I mean, I'm sure there's a hundred reasons, but is there a common theme? The parent who presents as high conflict or the parent who reacts to it? The parent, the parent that presents the high conflict situation. So the one that's sending the emails, the one that's sending the nasty text messages. If you are co-parenting with a high conflict person, their comfort zone is conflict. Mm -hmm. So when they're not in conflict, that's when they're anxious or their heartbeat's going a little bit erratic. Whereas for the rest of the population, conflict gives us that feeling. Right. So we want to avoid it. So that is the, the difference. Okay. Uh, some research suggests that their Corpus callosum down the middle of their two brains, the right brain and mm -hmm. the left brain, is smaller, either from trauma or genetic issues. Mm -hmm. It might have some holes in it. It's a bit wavy. So the messages from your right brain into your left brain don't go back and forth as easily. So if I'm in a relationship as, and I'm like, wow, this is like sending red flags off for me. I know that my ex-partner sounds like one of these people Andrea is describing. I might say to myself, it's possibly organic brain damage. He or she can't help it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so what happens is the person who's trying to co-parent with somebody like this is a natural fixer because that's who these high conflict people attract. Mm -hmm. So they get, just keep trying to fix the conflict and they keep failing and they go lower and lower. Their self-esteem is shot and they can't figure out why they just can't fix it because they're trying to fix something that's not fixable. So I, people, when they come to me, they always say, maybe I'm the high conflict, Andrea, just tell me. If I'm high conflict, I will change. And I said, well, you have the insight to ask if you are high conflict, which tells me that you are not the high conflict person because they would never ask themselves that because mm -hmm. they believe that it's all your fault, not theirs. But you may be communicating in a way that is contributing to the conflict. So let's Let's figure out which sandbox you need to be in and give you the tools to communicate in that sandbox. Makes sense. So, so is, it, is it helpful for people to articulate exactly that? I am in a high conflict co-parenting relationship. Like, is there some, I guess, insight or some like acceptance that comes along with realizing I'm in that 10% of people that divorce or separate and I'm being pulled into the boxing ring day after day after day? Yes. For some reason, people don't usually end up in my office until they've hit rock bottom and they have nowhere else to go. And so when I explain which sandbox they are in, it's relief. It's a sense of, oh my gosh, I'm not crazy. Because I really thought yeah. I was losing my mind. So to understand what it is, what sandbox you're playing in, is 
your freedom. Because once you understand it, then you can start processing all of your triggers, all of the reasons mm-hmm. you got in that sandbox in the first place, and then disengaging from the conflict itself. So how long does it take for people to actually go, ring, ring, can I come in and talk to you? I think I'm in a weird sandbox. Is it a few months into a separation? Is it is it longer so than ideally, that? <laughs> if you think you're in a high conflict relationship and are wanting to end your marriage, come and see me then. Because then there's ways you can end it and ways to protect yourself so that you don't go into that horrific world that we've heard about where separations and divorces go really, really sideways. Yes, and can take a few years and a hundred thousand dollars and And that all stems from fear because people don't know the system. Mm-hmm. They don't know how things are going to unfold. So they believe every threat that comes their way. I'm going to take the children full time. You're never going to see them. I'm going to move away. And they panic. Mm-hmm. So they hire, 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 hire mm-hmm. more and more and more professionals. Instead of maybe looking at how do I get some information about how I get out of this sandbox with a, with a partner that I know is probably going to be complicated and high conflict because that's the way they have always been. I love the word you just used, complicated. So one of the ways we describe people who have these high conflict tendencies is they have a complicated operating system. So their nervous system just works differently. They're the 10% where it's off the charts, Mm -hmm. whereas the 90% of us, our nervous systems are a bit more intact. So because we're common patient all the time. (laughs) All the time. We never freak out. (laughs) Or everyone goes through the waves up and down, but then there's some people where it's like a thunderstorm or unpredictable weather system at any time. Yes. And that is the difference. So for 90% of the population, we can have a tantrum and freak out because we went to the right side of our brain, Mm -hmm. but we're able to move over to the left side 24 or 72 hours later and go, huh. Uh, didn't go well. How can I change my behavior? How can I fix this? Yeah. How can I make this better? Whereas somebody who just hangs out on the right-hand side, the high-conflict person, they don't go over to the left. They hang out in that really extreme mm-hmm. emotion all of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't know how to how to um, regulate their own emotions. They have no ability to do it. They haven't learned it. And what's so tricky is it's, Situational isn't, isn't the right word, but they're one way with their co-parent, these high-conflict people, but another way with the rest of the world because they need the rest of the world to think they are fabulous. They are all about the perception. Mm-hmm. So that the parent who's trying to co-parent with somebody who has high-conflict is left going, oh my gosh, nobody believes me. Nobody sees through this. Mm-hmm. I am crazy. So then they defend themselves, which just starts the attack defend cycle which gets you nowhere because it doesn't matter how much you defend yourself when somebody attacks you're not going to change their opinion of you yeah so do you find when people come to see you that they start thinking about things they've done in the past that's just created the mess even created a bigger mess right and and they wish that they would have known that earlier on because i loved your point earlier on about the earlier they can get in to see somebody like yourself you know the more that it can be managed Yes. Yeah. So is there, how do people react to that when they suddenly, is there, is there, is there guilt? Is there shame? Disappointment in themselves? Oh, I think there's anger in the system. <laughs> right. How come this information wasn't more readily available? How come nobody told me that this was even mm-hmm. out there? 
So we're trying really hard to get that information mm. out to the general public. So are lawyers trained access. in this sort of thing? So there are a lot of lawyers. Some yeah. lawyers are trained in it, some aren't. Uh, the High Conflict Institute has presented several times in Calgary. We used to have a program that they developed called New Ways for Families. Medicine Hat had New Ways for Families for six years, and their results were phenomenal. Phenomenal. So how many times you come back to court? Dropped eight to one. Like wow. it, it was phenomenal. So this is really preventative medicine. It's not only just the mom, like the parents that are involved with the kids. It's it's the kids ultimately that that suffer the consequences of parents that are continually fighting. People cannot move on. No. The long-term health effects, no doubt, for the parents involved in it with those cortisol floods in their body. It was so phenomenal that everybody's trained in it. Mm -hmm. Judges, lawyers, and psychologists. Mm -hmm. And as soon as there's one red flag in court, the judge immediately orders them to go to this program called New Ways for Families. They work with a counselor for six weeks. Each parent has their own counselor to go through the different tools that they need to use to co-parent more amicably. Mm -hmm. And after that six weeks, if they go back to the court, if the mm -hmm. judge thinks that they both learned what they needed to learn, then they have another six weeks with a new counselor and their child. So then wow. children, parents, and counselor are all in the same room, all learning the same skills, which are flexible thinking, managed emotions, and moderate behavior. Wow. Phenomenal program. So practical, 12 weeks. Yes. And, and it's all laid out. Yeah. Brilliant. There are a lot of places around the world that are now implementing it. Yeah. Texas has been a fabulous supporter of the program. Neat. There is a psychologist in Calgary who is doing research on Ways for Families, hopefully with data to be yeah. able to provide. Yeah. Yeah, let me know who it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be in touch with them. That's amazing. Yes. So, um, you know, not everyone wakes up and says, oh, I want to have a career working with families that are kind of in crisis and in conflict. What exactly brought you to this, <laughs> this space? I ask myself that almost every day. Because <laughs> okay. you've been doing it for years, right? Years and years. 15 yeah. years. Uh, what brought me to high conflict? I used to work for Alberta Justice, and I was a courtroom mediator, and I had so much fun, which sounds weird, but we had this amazing team, and we just mm -hmm. resolved band-aid conflict, I should call it, because that's what you do when you're in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. And then I moved into mediation in an office for Alberta Justice, and I was tasked with finding a high-conflict program that would work for our high-conflict clients. And in my head, I'm like, oh, I know what we need. So I didn't bother to read what they told me to read. So when I was on the bus going to Edmonton, I read the information they gave me, and it was the New Ways for Families program. And I realized that I wasn't crazy because I had a high-conflict person in my life who I could not figure out. So I was an accomplished mediator by day, and I was a crazy person by night. And then in the morning, I'd wake up, and the guilt would hit because why couldn't I use the skills I used during the day? when I was trying to figure out the high conflict person in my life. And so it was the mm -hmm. worst guilt, shame, anger, crazy person experience of my life until I read that information. And it all came together for me. I realized I wasn't crazy and these skills were phenomenal. Yeah. So I was able to present. We did have new ways for families for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. Neat. So I came into it backwards. Because Once, of a need in your family. Because of a need in our family. Yeah. And then I did all of my training after that. I'm not a big fan of mediating money. It just doesn't resonate with me. But I am fascinated by people's behaviors and why they aren't able 
to just resolve conflict. And you can't resolve conflict when you're working with somebody who's high conflict in a traditional sense. And the High Conflict mm -hmm. Institute had all of the tools. Oh, I fell in love with the High Conflict Institute. So I've done all of their trainings. I'm currently a speaker for them, a trainer. I'm in the process of building a new program for them on child alienation, which we're hoping to launch in New Orleans at the Yay. AFCC conference in May 2020. Nice. Nice pitch, nice. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you're allowed to do it. You're allowed to do it, for sure. And I, I'm sure that we could gather some families to be able to do it in Calgary as well. Some young people that are alienated from mom, mom or dad. Yeah. And I think that's what you said, Adrian, you can't resolve conflict. I think that is a key message for anyone listening to this, because I'm sure a lot of people come to you and say, I need to resolve this. And the reality is you can't but you can give them the tools to be able to deal with it in a powerful yes. way that doesn't make them think they're crazy. Yes. There's a, a common thread. I've been doing this a long time, mm -hmm. as you said. The people who end up in these relationships are kind and nice and fixers. They would never treat people this way. So they're in complete shock that somebody would treat them that way. Mm -hmm. So they keep trying to fix it. And it's unfixable. So their self-esteem, their self-love just goes into the ground. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like you have to build them back up again while also detaching them from that other person. Because part of that high conflict personality is they get you hooked. So they press the right buttons to keep you hooked. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very difficult to disengage. Mm -hmm. Which is why we wrote the book. And there's 52 chapters on ways to recognize what your triggers are and to disengage from them because nice. most people don't even know what they're that they've been triggered until after the fact yeah here but, i am angry again crying in my car what what's happened? wrong with me yeah. how did this happen yes yeah and we call them response patterns because it's you've just been programmed <clears throat> to respond a certain way yeah yeah well let's change them yeah, yeah. But if you're not aware of them you can't change them so I, I got to review your book and read some chapters. It was beautiful. Um, and that was one of the things that I took away from it right off the bat was it wasn't let's vilify the ex-partner. Let's p call it narcissism. Let's call it like it was nothing to do with blaming the other. It was chapter like first page. You're in a high conflict relationship. Like know your own triggers, have some insight into what you're doing that's keeping it going. And and I thought it was really powerful to put the the control back into the the parents' hands. Yes. Um, what are the things that I need to do differently? Um, and what do I need to do with my own emotions so that I'm not pulled into the boxing ring again? Yes. And I think reading it too, I, I couldn't help but fall back to just basic attachment styles. Yes. For sure, high conflict parents, if you were looking at their attachment style, have an anxious avoidance style. It's not the healthy kind of stable attachment style that we hope everyone has. And so whatever, they're going to do whatever they can to keep you in their world. Yes. Yeah. And as you grow and stop engaging, they are not going to like it. So they're going to up their game. Of course. Oh, come back into my ring. Yeah. <laughs> my sandbox. I, I kind of need, need you. you. I need they you there. They need you there. Yeah. So... I always tell parents, know that it's coming. Yeah. They are going to escalate. Mm -hmm. yep. Stay the course. Yeah. Because as soon as it's boundaries, right? As soon as you give in a little bit, good luck. They're going to just, they know that they can keep pushing and they will get you back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not back into the relationship, but back into their dance of conflict. Yeah. But that is a relationship. 
like in in a way if if you're like it is all about having this person in my world even if they're yelling at me and they're angry they're still in my world I find it very difficult because children break my heart Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and parents always just want me to fix the other parent yeah well they can't be fixed (laughs) so what can you do yeah yeah taking responsibility for yourself how to keep yourself healthy so there was one one thing that you had in the book, and I, I was reading it when I was getting my toes done. So I, I didn't actually practice it in the salon, but I, I probably should have. And I think it was called the two-minute tango. Two-minute tango. Yes. Can you tell people what that's about? Because I was reading it, and I'm like, <laughs> what? how could you close your office door and just do this? But what what is it about? Because I thought two-minute intervention, amazing. It's a quick two-minute intervention to switch your emotional pattern that you're in. Um, so in traditional Chinese medicine, they talk about the five core feelings, uh, worry, anxiety, anger, excessive giddiness, and sorrow. Mm-hmm. So at any given point, you can be triggered into one of those feelings or all of those feelings. And as soon as you're in a feeling, you're in your right-hand side of your brain, which mm-hmm. is the emotional brain, not your left side, which is rational. So you're not going to be thinking clearly. So as soon as you feel yourself going into any one of those, if you do the quick two-minute tango, which I will explain in a second... <laughs> It will move those feelings, and then you can be back on your left rational brain again. Mm -hmm. So a quick example, the way it was taught to me, it's not mine, I give credit to traditional Chinese medicine, is it's supposed to be a minute per feeling. I have a very small attention span, (laughs) so I wasn't able to do a minute, so I adapted it to 30 seconds. So 30 seconds, (laughs) (laughs) you just sped it up. (laughs) Why not? So. To move um, worry, you physically shake your body, not just like a shake, like a dance, but like vibrating shake for 30 seconds. And then to move anxiety, you yawn. So try and make yourself yawn for 30 seconds. It's tricky, but it forces you back into your body to do something and out of your head. And it's moving. And it's a release. Mm, Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the anger, um, (laughs) bear with me growling like a dog to move that um that gut anger reaction and you've got your hands clenched Clenched. your whole body like every muscles growling like a really angry dog i love this and then to move the excessive giddiness because our society tells us that excessive giddiness is a good thing but it's still an extreme feeling laughing hysterically so for 30 seconds laugh you're gonna have to fake it, but that's fine. It moves the feeling, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just keep going. Okay. And that again, a huge release once you try it. And then sorrow, make yourself cry. People on do. demand. On demand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's tough, but it is such an enormous emotional release that you can then be rational and you can move forward. Otherwise, you're going to get stuck in that feeling. Interesting. I have an yeah. adapted method for kids. Yep. Because. I really believe that we're planting seeds with our kids on how to do things better that we didn't know. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So transitions typically are tough on children. So I encourage parents to have a pillow fight, a gentle one, not a hard one. (laughs) And usually up to age 10 or 11. um, Because what that does is it moves all the feelings. Initially, the kid is not going to want or the child is not going to want to. And just gently start tapping. And then they're going to get into it. And then they're going to laugh. And they might get a little angry and get out the anger. Um, they're shaking while they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, they're probably going to want to have a little cuddle on the couch and read a book yeah. or watch some TV. Yeah. But that just moved all of those feelings from I'm leaving one parent that I love more than anything, going to one parent that I love more than anything. And those in-between feelings 
are so hard. Yeah. And if we can teach kids to move their feelings, they won't become their feelings. Absolutely. Yeah. And what you're what you're describing there with that transition, whether it's a pillow fight, a tickle fight, yes, is yeah. is there's a lot of neuroscience that backs it up. Yeah. Right. And so we know that touch we're going to have um, oxytocin release, which is like the cuddle hormone. It makes us connect. So you're, the bond is going to increase. You're doing something playful, which just brings out joy. Yeah. Um, there might be a bit of frustration with it. You're helping to connect the right left side of the brain in that moment. So like ding, 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 all of those things sound amazing. And so that's a really simple tool that a parent can use instead of it, we're passing off to mom, we're passing off to dad. We know that there's going to be theatrics. It's going to be hard. It's going to be playing on my heart. Why not just, let's just do something fun and silly and yep. shake it up yep. and just move along. Yep. Yeah, super cool. And the feedback I've had from parents who implement this is phenomenal. Yeah, of course it would be. Right. So I yeah. went from having like 24 hours of this horrific yeah. transition where my child was incredibly unhappy to, all right, in an mm -hmm. hour, we've transitioned and now we can go about our nice. activities. And and benefit to everybody, everybody, right? And th that little kid's nervous system, if they're spending 24 hours in crisis, oh, that's heartbreaking. I know. I know. Yeah. So, yeah, tickle fights, pillow fight, two-minute tango. Yes. If you've got more energy, maybe five-minute tango. <laughs> if you can do <laughs> more tango. <attention do>, <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Super cool. Um, I I can't help but ask this question because I think – it's one that I get asked a lot. And since I'm sitting with an expert, I'm going to ask it. So what do you do? I want to take my kids on a holiday. I live in Canada. We, I've always wanted to take them to Disneyland. Or it'd be really fun to go, you know, down to L.A. But my ex-partner will not let them leave the country. I send emails. I've left voicemails. I've sent texts. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, what is a person to do? Can you talk us through kind of how you might respond to a parent that asks that question. Yes. I'm going to back it up just a second. Yes. And talk about how you communicate with somebody who's high conflict. Oh, yeah. Usually Great. what people do is they say how they think or how they feel. <laughs> and they try to appear, appeal to the other parent's heartstrings. And can't you see why this would benefit the children, which is trying to give them insight, which just makes them defensive because they don't have insight. So I always say when you're emailing your co-parent, four sentences or less, no emotion, no insight, no opinion. Because as soon as you add one of those three things to your email, <laughs> they are hooked mm -hmm. and they're going to turn around into something completely different than what you're asking. I always recommend don't say how you think or feel because they don't care. And as soon as you say, I yeah, think I feel, <laughs> they're going to attach themselves to how you think or feel and not the child, which is the reason you're sending the email in the first place. Mm -hmm. So the High Conflict Institute created the Proposal Focus Method, uh, which is outlined in the book. Uh, it's also online, highconflictinstitute.com, um, on how to propose travel, for example, mm -hmm. to the other parent or propose extracurricular activities. And it has great language around how to do that. So with your example, Tasha, mm -hmm. if a parent wants to travel to Disneyland and the other parent isn't letting them, in four sentences... And I'm not really good off the cuff, but I'm really yeah. good on email. Yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah, no, no, no. That's okay. Uh, I propose that the children travel to Disneyland on these dates. This is when we'll be back. This is the hotel we're staying on. Please respond uh, that you are in agreement by such and such a date, period. Yeah. If you don't hear from them by that date, put it five days down the path. Mm -hmm. 
email them back. I sent an email on this date. I proposed this. Um, if I don't hear from you on this date, then I'll need to take it to the next level and make a court application. Okay. Nice. Very business-like. Very yeah. business-like. In my first book, I talked about the relationship that you're going to have is going to go from business casual, which would be super fun and awesome, where you could like have Christmases together. That doesn't always happen. And it's really mm -hmm. not going to happen if you're in a high-conflict co-parenting relationship. So we call that business professional. Yeah. And just know that that's where you're going to go. Yeah. And I really... What I also want for parents in this relationship is to not feel guilt that they don't have that white picket fence divorce. Mm -hmm. Because everybody tells you that you're destroying your kids because you don't. Your kids need one person to love them unconditionally. I heard a fabulous phrase. Your children just need you to be the shade. They don't need a perfect childhood. Mm -hmm. They don't need you to fix everything. They need you to be there for them. When they go into the world, it gets ugly. They need someone to come back. Just say, I've got you. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to go a little bit further out there. They're going to yeah. go, oh my gosh, and then come back. I gotcha. And I think, wow. I think that that piece around the, the, the guilt that parents sometimes have is oh, it's real huge. and it's huge. huge. Like, I never wanted this for my family. I can't believe my poor kids have been through this. It's not fair to them. And they take all the blame. Take all the blame. Which is what the high conflict yeah. wants them to do. Yes. Because yes. then they can manipulate them. So, I, Matt I, or Andrea, would there be something that a parent could say to themselves in that moment if they're feeling guilt bubble up. How on earth did I ever get myself into this situation? My poor kids, how could I have done this? I, you know, and really beating themselves up. What, what can someone say in that moment if they don't have time to do a two minute tango, right? Um, <laughs> um, that might take that guilt kind of off, off the shoulders. I would say, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Yeah. And everything is a growth experience if you have that mindset. No, is it ideal? No. Mm -hmm. Nobody asked for this, but this is how it is. You can't fix it. So how can we make this work? Yeah. yeah. This is your sandbox. How can you play in this sandbox? Not the one you've idolized. Mm -hmm. I still have tons of mom guilt. Oh, yes. Who doesn't, right? Who and doesn't? So, so I catch myself doing the same thing. Oh my gosh, I gave my kids a crap dinner again tonight. I'm working <laughs> yes. too hard this is terrible. <laughs> yes. I'm not yes. being authentic or whatever it is. Yes. And I'll, I'll let myself sort of feel it and go like, there's something that I need to remember in this moment. Like the guilt is, is telling me I need to, maybe I need to shift something in my life. And then I'm sort of an action oriented person. So I very quickly am like, what a waste of time to feel guilty, put the energy into something you can do. Right. So then it just sort of kickstarts me to like, turn the needle somewhere else. There's another psychologist in Calgary who presented at the last AFCC conference in New Orleans, and his uh, present presentation was called Good Enough Parenting. That's all we need to be. Because somehow in separation and divorce, the expectation has become perfection. Totally. And when you're constantly yep. being berated for how you're parenting, you feel like you need to be perfect or you're going to keep getting berated. But mm -hmm. the bar keeps going higher and higher and you can't be there. Mm -hmm. Good enough is good enough. Absolutely. Yeah, so nice. Can we, Andre, can we switch the conversation a bit just so from the, the, the voice of the child? Because one of the things that we do on our podcast is to get, give tools to parents to understand and deal with whatever the topic of that podcast is. But we also like them to understand it from their child's perspective to hopefully give them a different perspective as well. So what's it like for a kid who has parents that, that one of them or both of them are high conflict? <laughs> Really, really hard. 
they're in one home hearing somebody say horrible things about the person, the other person they love most in the world. Mm -hmm. And then they go to the other parent and they hear, so what happened at, what happened while you were at the other parent's house? What were you doing? Who were you with? Who watched you? Were you home alone? How much TV did you have? And they're constantly, children are smart little creatures. They sense the energy in the room. They know exactly what you're doing. But they're trying to protect the other parent. Mm -hmm. Both parents, whether you're high conflict or not, they just want to protect everybody. So they shut down. Or they tell you what you want to hear. And they lose touch with themselves because now they're trying to make you happy rather than themselves. I yeah. find it heartbreaking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so you were saying that, um, you know, kids might be editing what they're saying so they can navigate the, the two households. Yes. And, and you touched on a piece, too, around um, kids kind of taking care of your feelings. Yes. Instead of getting to share theirs. Yes. Which is a huge, huge disservice to any little person. Yes. Um, feelings are not scary things. They can be big and yes. yucky and it it's not the feeling itself that causes a dysfunction. It's holding it in yes. and suppressing it. Yes. So how could, like, what could parents do differently knowing, holy moly, I know that my kids are impacted by the two different households. They have to be. Um, what what can a parent do without vilifying the, the other family and the other household? Because that's not helpful. That's not helpful. No. Um, I always say acknowledge that it's difficult. Mm -hmm. It's difficult going back and forth. I know. We'll figure it out. And then allowing them to have their feelings. And really managing your own emotions so they don't see even your micro expression of, oh, that hurt. Or, I can't believe that happened. Or, Because they catch those. Yes, Children they catch do. the micro expressions. Yes, they do. So do your two-minute tango before your child comes home. Mm -hmm. And then you are completely clear. So it doesn't matter what they say to you. And if you need to go for a walk and do another two-minute tango, go for a walk. But you need to be mm -hmm. there for them. They don't need to be there for you. Some parents say that it's good to share. Yes. You agree with that? I've heard that theory, and no, I don't agree with it. Um, children, children are resilient, as we know. When mm -hmm. parents manage their adult conflict, their brains aren't fully developed to understand the way adults talk with each other. So if we're sharing all of the stuff that's going on, mm -hmm. they have no idea how to process it. Mm -hmm. So no, find a friend, find a therapist, find a counselor, find somebody to work through your stuff with. I would 100% agree yeah. with that one. And really yeah. think, why am I sharing? Yeah, is yes. it, if it's of benefit to the child, yeah. like I think sharing in terms of I felt sad before too. I yes. remember when yes. my dog died when I was little and I felt grief for a long time. And sometimes I would, a day would come and I'd hear a bark in the, off in the distance and I would just feel really sad. It was like it just revisited me. That's a kind of sharing that normalizes an experience for a kid yes. without saying, every time dad picks you up, my heart breaks. I can't yes. believe that I don't have you in my life. And so... That's a big person's <laughs> yes. uh, emotional world that there's no way there's any any benefit for a child to have that put on his or her shoulders. It is a Ever. boulder of weight. Yeah. Yep. Yes. So I guess that would be the piece. And and I think tooling kids up with, with, and this is where a parent could even say, look, I know that I sometimes have off days and I might yes. say too much. 
you have every right to call me on that stuff, yes. I can take it. And you can say, mom, you're t- saying stuff you shouldn't say. And and know that I want you to be that honest with me. Mm-hmm. I can take it and yes. I will find a way to say sorry. Yes. Yeah. So six-year-olds I can say it. this. Yes. 15-year-olds can say it. 40-year-olds yes. can say it. Because I know I've been in that moment myself as, yes. a, <laughs> as an adult child going, mom, I cannot... I can't hear this anymore. I'm not the right person to talk to about this. I'm still your kid. Yes. But P.S. You're a psychologist and you're, you know, 45. (laughs) Yep. Doesn't matter. The kid in me is saying too much information. (laughs) Yeah. Because you're right. You said earlier on that that, that, the kids are smart. And I don't think parents give enough credit to that. Oh, yeah. They just think they're kids and they won't understand. It won't affect them. Or we're so good at hiding it. They have no idea that we're high conflict. Of course they do. Of course they do. And they they need to be in tune with what's going on for us because we're the reason we're we have to keep them alive. Like from a biological space, kids have to be in tune with the the emotional world of their mom and dad. Yes. Yeah. And we haven't really talked a lot about your book. Um, although the information that you're giving us is amazing. So then I hope people just go and go, I want to know what these 52 lessons are. If there was, um, you know, three really important reasons why someone should get this book, it's probably a $20 investment that could literally change, change. Yes. a oh. life mm-hmm. and all the, and the generations, the ripple. Yes. It's insane, right? Yes. yes. So what would, what, sell us on it? Why should someone like get off this podcast and go to Amazon and buy this book so they can get out of the gutter because they are literally hanging on by a nail to survive and that's no way to live we only get one life yeah your children only get one childhood Bill Eddy writes in the foreword that there has been studies that say children need you to model the behavior so if you take care of yourself spiritually at work emotionally physically they will do the same. Mm-hmm. So learn how to do that so that you can model it for your children. That would be the biggest takeaway, I think. Also, you're not alone. It is the most isolating experience to co-parent with somebody who's high conflict because none of your friends or family really understand because they've never had to be in it. They're like, oh, it can't be that bad. And actually, it's worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to know that you're not alone and the resources that are in there, I think are fantastic. I would agree with everything you said. And the resources in there are fantastic. Like very simple, like just that pathway to follow. Yes. How do I craft an email? It is in that It is book. laid out. Yeah. So I, I read it and then like the next day at work, I'm like, there's these steps you should follow <laughs> in, a, in an email. You need to read this book. I can't remember them all. There was an acronym, BIF or Brief, Informative, Friendly, and Firm. But I, I, I like the BIF one. Yeah, BIF. I like the BIF one. For sure. Yeah. Because sometimes people will write pages and pages oh. to try and get the other person to recognize where they're coming from and yes. to understand what they're going through and yes. to get them to see it from a different perspective. And to your point, they just read it and they don't. I don't think they read it. <laughs> they find they, one thing that exactly, they can go. Yeah. Oh, I don't and then the rest thing. of it, they just turn off. Right. Yeah. So and they spend all of this time and that that makes them even more angry. And guess what? More conflict. And mm-hmm. Yes. So. Yes. And so more and like more expensive. Book. Yes. Yeah, which is, and obviously, I don't want this to be, there's certainly, there's, there's nothing illegal in this podcast, but I can only imagine how sometimes when individuals go to lawyers, they just put more fuel on the fire when it comes to conflict. So mm-hmm. I think that's twofold. One is there are a lot of high conflict lawyers. 
um, not all lawyers are trained in high conflict, uh, in family law, and their job is to protect your rights mm -hmm. and what you're entitled to. So it is their legal job to tell you all of those things. Now, is that the best, best strategy when you are working or co-parenting with somebody high conflict? Not always. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where things go sideways. Mm -hmm. I think it's easy for us to just blame the lawyers or blame the judges or blame the court system. But I think there's a lot of layers on why we've ended up here. Yeah. And and like you said, too, not everyone has the training in high conflict. Yeah. So if you were a lawyer that was working with high conflict families to be able to say, look, this is going to cost a lot of money if you guys don't resolve it. How do we do this as speedily as possible so you can get on with your lives and your kids aren't impacted? Yes. And and that, the, lots of lawyers that I might connect with have that sort of vibe about them, but that's probably why those are the lawyers that I connect with. Yeah, <laughs> that is exactly yeah. they're sort of solution focused and like, yeah, yeah. And I'm married to a lawyer, so I I think that they can be pretty awesome people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't like I lawyer jokes. <laughs> I mean, this has been like incredibly informative. Um, We're I really feel like, excited. Yeah, be excited, yes. right? You guys are going to change lives. Um, There's nothing else like this on the market. There's tons of co-parenting with high conflict, um, high, high conflict co-parenting books on the market, mm -hmm. but nothing that really helps the person who's trying to co-parent with somebody high conflict. Mm -hmm. Like this is absolutely a one of a kind understanding of what it's actually like so mm. we're excited for people to be like there's another world out there i don't have to live like this yeah which is freedom because they feel like they have none mm -hmm. and what are the tools no no yeah. that's okay and what are the tools i can use yes to to navigate this yes so what's your dream behind all of this why is it that you do this really good question <laughs> So I used to quit every three months because <laughs> it was really taxing on my system. And then I read a book called Secondhand Shock, which is about vicarious trauma. So each time I was meeting with people, I kept wanting to fix the system. And you can't fix the system because it's really hard to change a culture, which is what family law is. And then I would drain myself, so I'd quit. And then a month later, I'd find myself working again. And I think I keep getting back to it because I love when people go, there's hope. Mm -hmm. I don't have to live like this. It is my most favorite moment when I see people's faces go, holy. Yeah. There's something else out there. Yeah. And now I no longer feel the need to change the system because I realize I may not. But the more information we get out there and the more education we have, mm -hmm. it, I really believe in that planting seeds and watch them grow. Oh, so cool. thank you so much for allowing me to come and speak here. Yeah. With both of you have this conversation to allow this information to filter out. Yeah. And so people wouldn't realize this, but Matt and I have giant smiles on our face. Because what <laughs> you're saying, I'm like, yes, this is so cool. So very cool. Thank um, you. Is there any last sort of comment you have or question, Matt? The, the question I'd like to finish off in cases like this is like, what's one thing that you want people to hear? You're not destroying your children. Mm. I think that's key. Because mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what feelings parents go through, their end is, I have screwed up my children for life because I had children with that person. And they're not. They're not at all. This is just your children's path. Mm. And they will navigate it. And you will 
help educate them on tools to not only work in this co-parenting relationship, but take those tools into the world. Mm-hmm. We are not teaching children flexible thinking, managed emotions, moderate behavior. And if we did that, giving them the mindfulness, uh, mental health aspect of it, they will be that much better adapted once they are adults. Because conflict is, is everywhere. everywhere. It yes. really is. It yes. really is. And we're not giving kids the tools to manage the conflict. So I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank Very you. Very cool. Thanks.